Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. We are continuing our series this weekend entitled The Real Jesus, and one of my friends is in town to preach and teach from God's Word And he just so happens to be a Messianic Jewish rabbi from Seattle. His name is Rabbi Matt Rosenberg. He's become a great friend. He is a, in my opinion, a genius theologically. I'm just going to tell you a little bit about him uh, because we're we're just a little bit different. Uh, He's going to tell more jokes in his first point than I've told in the last year of sermons. Um... And you're going to be going, I wish Preston was this funny. It is never going to happen. Never going to happen. You don't want it to happen, okay? My jokes are horrible. Uh, but he literally is a genius theologically. I always love getting time with him. I always learn when I'm with him. Uh, he's going to say some things that might challenge you a little bit. And I, I want you to remember, if, if you haven't been in this series uh, don't just take this message. This is a part of an entire series. We've been on a journey talking about all of this. And, and so go back and catch up if you're, this is your first time with us. Welcome. Uh, but here's what I would say. I don't want you to focus on being right. Okay? I want you to focus on learning at least one new thing about the one you love. Because I promise you, there's probably going to be at least one moment in this message where you're like, I, I don't know if that's, I, that, uh, this is not about you being right, okay? It's annoying to be in love with someone who always has to be right. Because unless your name is Jesus, no one's ever had that happen, okay? So I don't want you to fix it on being right. I want you to lean in, and I want you to learn something about the one you love, because you're about to hear one of my favorite messages of the year, all right? So would you please welcome my friend, Rabbi Matt Rosenberg. Being a genius theologically is tough to live up to, so hopefully that, hopefully that works out for us today. Uh, Pastor Preston mentioned uh, last week in his message, he talked about perpetual uh, celebrators. I am a perpetual celebrator. I work under the title rabbi. My, my hashtag on social media for myself is the happy rabbi. Uh, I, I am a rabbi, but the title I prefer, which I made up for myself at my congregation, it's on my business cards. It's uh, the COA of Restoration. That's the chief officer of awesome. (laughs) Because uh, I serve an awesome God, and I'm part of an awesome people, and my job is an awesome privilege. And if we learned anything from the Lego movie, everything (laughs) is awesome. That's my whole life, really. Uh, So far in this series, um, which has been really incredible, Uh, From a perspective of a Messianic rabbi, you need to understand that what your uh, pastor uh, is doing in this series, um, no other church that I'm aware of has done or is doing. Um, And it's really exciting. And uh, Pastor Preston is 
a good friend, and it's an honor to speak to you, to this church. So, so far you've heard from tall, skinny, white guys. So what you didn't know you needed is a short, chubby Jewish guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote a book, which is very exciting. This is my first book. This is a proof of the book. It has my name on it, which is weird. Um, and it's called Jesus Never Said Anything New, and it's available on Amazon on February 19th. Um, our friend, our mutual friend, Pastor Tim Ross, wrote the foreword, which is super fun. And um, a lot of what I'm going to talk about comes out of this book. So if you'd like to dig into more, um, I encourage you to grab a copy. Pastor Preston already said, I'm going to say some hard things today, and maybe some things that you've never heard before. Uh, But you have to understand that this is a journey all of us are on. Sometimes when people talk to Messianic Jews or they find out I'm a Messianic rabbi, there's like this weird honor thing, like they don't know what to do for, with a rabbi. Like, am I, am I supposed to bow? I'm like, no, no. Um, and, uh, and I love what Pastor Preston just said, because this is true for us as a people as well. There is no interest in being right. The heart of Judaism is we're not actually interested in answers as much as we are in the questions that are being asked. And the more you dig and the more you read and the more you study and the more uh, you grow in your relationship with God, the more questions you have for the rest of your life. I have spent my entire life, my dad is also a Messianic rabbi, my brother's a Messianic rabbi, my uncle's a Messianic rabbi, uh, and I've spent my whole life studying the word of God And I find new things all the time. And it doesn't make any sense. I've read, my dad has a a system of reading the Bible that he got me on when I was eight years old that that had me reading the Bible, the entire Bible, every 90 days. I started that when I was eight. And I didn't do it in college. (laughs) And then I came back to it. But the more you read it, the more it becomes a part of your life, the more you just find, man, I just don't know enough. And I certainly don't know enough to be convinced that I'm the most right um, in the room. So we're talking about the real Jesus. So I just wanted to show you the not real Jesuses. That's not him. That's, well, compassionate, but not him. Definitely not him. And it, And here's the thing, Jesus isn't white, and he's not black, and he's not Mongolian, and he's not Japanese, but you find expressions of him in every culture, and it's a human thing where uh, we want to make, like, fit Jesus into our culture uh, because it feels like we relate better, but the truth is, he's probably olive-skinned with a dark beard and dark eyes. He's probably five foot five and a little overweight, (laughs) this guy. Bring back the Sonics. So, today we're going to talk about why the Jewishness of Jesus matters to you. And the idea is putting Jesus back into his Jewish context because the Jewish context of Jesus has been lost for quite some time. And when we talk about context, I want to just take us back to the basics. Um, So, we're going to. 
Talk about green eggs and ham a little bit. You guys know, if I could turn to my favorite passage. <laughs> I could not, would not on a boat. I will not, will not with a goat. I will not eat them in the rain. I will not eat them on a train. Not in the dark, not in a tree, not in a car. You let me be. I do not like them in a box. I do not like them with a fox. I will not eat them in a house. I do not like them with a mouse. I do not like them here or there. I do not like them anywhere. Thank you. Uh, by the way, the, the title of uh, Green Eggs and Ham in Israel for the Hebrew translation is not Green Eggs and Ham because of the ham, mostly. Yeah, so in Hebrew, it's called Not Hungry, Don't Love It. Uh, and here's what I did. I, I looked up, I googled uh, the meaning of green eggs and ham. And there are some crazy things on the internet. I don't know if you guys realize. There's some crazy things on the internet. The, the standard is, and you've probably said this to your kids when you read it to them or your parents said it to you when they read this book to you. You'll never know you don't like something until you try it. Right? That's what everybody thinks it's about. One person said it's a reference to white Americans' unwillingness to accept blacks. One said it's a portrayal of early Marxism. In fact, it was banned in China. Uh, and one guy said that Green Eggs and Ham is a very sophisticated theology of the incarnational non-dual spirituality with the book acting as a modern retelling of great spiritual texts like the Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> yeah, I know. Here's what Green Eggs and Ham is really about. Green Eggs and Ham was a bet between Dr. Seuss and his publisher. See, he had already written Cat in the Hat, and Cat in the Hat has 225 words in it. It's one of the best-selling book, children's books of all time. And his publisher said, I bet, I'll bet you $50 that you can't write a book with 50 words in it. That's why he wrote Green Eggs and Ham. That's why it repeats so much. Sam, I am. I am Sam. It's just because it has 50 words. I know some of you are thinking, what are the 50 words? I'll tell you. A, am, and, anywhere, R, B, boat, box, car, could, dark, do, eat, eggs, fox, goat, good, green, ham, here, house, I, if, in, let, like, may, me, mouse, not, on, or, rain, Sam, say, see, so, thank, that, they, them, there, they, train, tree, try, will, with, would, you. 50 words. And here's the thought. If a 50-word children's book, if the purpose for a 50-word children's book, if the context of a 50-word children's book can be so confusing to people, how much more is the context of 66 books written over a period of 1,000 years by 40 different authors? How much more confusing can the text of the Bible be in, in all of the times and all of the history and all of the places that it's written? And even though the majority of it is written to Jewish people, they're Jewish people over a span of a thousand years. The world changed, culture changed, everything changed. And so when you read the scriptures, you have to know a little bit about context for the things you're reading, what the author actually was saying and what the people in the time were actually hearing. And sometimes what we do naturally is we just read the text and, and, and we impose our, our culture onto the text, but our culture is so far removed from the culture of the writers of Scripture that we have a lot of work to do to understand 
historical context. And then you have all the translations and all the languages it's been translated into and all the different ways that people have interpreted things. So this morning, what I want to help you do is understand why through context of the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, why the Jewishness of Jesus matters to you. It's somewhat obvious why it matters to me because I'm Jewish and I want Jesus to be like me. It's a little less obvious for those of you who are not Jewish, who are Gentiles, which by the word, by the way, the, the word Gentile gets a bad rap. Gentile means nations, and there's a separation where God took the Jewish people out of the nations to separate us from the nations, but the purpose was for us to preach to the nations, to be a light to the nations. So he had to separate us in order to uh, bring us back so that we could tell the nations that there's no other God but the God of Israel. And so in context, and I love that Pastor Preston did in the first message of this series, he said lovers are learners. And if you love someone, you want to know everything about them. And here's what I want you to understand. The Jewishness of Jesus, and in fact, his practice of Judaism, his daily decisions, the holidays that he celebrated, the Sabbath that he kept, the fact that if you invited him over for Easter dinner, he wouldn't eat ham. He wouldn't mind if you eat it. He wouldn't judge you for eating it, but he wouldn't eat it because he's Jewish. It's a part of who he is, and the more you can understand the context, you can go back and understand context, the deeper your relationship with Jesus will go, whether you're Jewish or a Gentile from the nations. And for us as Messianic Judaism, you know, modern Messianic Judaism is really only just a little over 100 years old. And over the last few generations, our fathers and mothers tried to figure out what practicing Judaism centered on the person of Jesus would even look like, which is funny because when he showed up, everybody he spoke to was Jewish, and all of his followers were Jewish. In fact, everyone who's filled with the Spirit in Acts chapter 2 is Jewish. I'll even go as far as to say that that. The, the, the Holy Spirit doesn't fall on Gentiles until 10 years after the resurrection, which means for 10 years, the Holy Spirit only fell on Jewish people. And then in Acts chapter 10, when Peter preaches to Cornelius and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, the question is, is this allowed? Can, can Gentiles be filled with the Holy Spirit? Not because they were angry or frustrated, but because in their experience, all they had seen was the Holy Spirit falling on Jewish people. And a lot of the context that I'm going to share with you, a lot, a lot of the things that I've discovered and that my parents before me discovered come out of practicing Judaism. And the more we've practiced it, and it's different. Messianic Judaism is different than modern Orthodox Judaism for lots of reasons. But we started to celebrate Passover, and we started to keep the Shabbat, and we started to do the blessings, and we started to do all these things. And the more we did these things, the more we saw those things in the New Testament and realized, oh, right. He's doing those things because he's Jewish. And these blessings and these things are far older than Jesus. And so in his time, he would have done these things as well. So it's not like we have all the answers as Messianic Jews, because we're on a process of discovering for ourselves as we continue to do and be who God has called us to be, Jews who center our faith on the Jewish Messiah, 
that the more we practice the Judaism of Jesus, the more it becomes clear. And Pastor Preston said throughout this series, this church isn't going to become Jewish. That's not the goal. But the goal is for all of us to understand context. I remember I was preaching at a church not too long ago, and I finished preaching, and I said the benediction, and then I came down, and somebody came up to me and said, I've, I'm, just, I'm really excited because I've never met a rabbi before. And I said, that's not true. He said, what do you mean? You're the first rabbi I've met. He said, I, you, you pray to one. You, yeah, you're not tracking with me yet. You, you worship a rabbi. Please don't worship me, but you worship. We worship the same. Jesus is my rabbi. In fact, Pastor Preston is going to do a message in this series called Jesus the Rabbi. And so I'm going to give you some uh, uh, three reasons why the Jewishness of Jesus matters for you. The first, and this is really theologically deep, so I want you to ro- you know, roll with me. Jesus is Jewish, not a Christian. I know, it's good, right? <laughs> some of you are scared, I can tell. It's okay. But just think about it this way. Christian means Christ follower. Jesus doesn't self-identify as a Christian because he doesn't follow himself. The the second reason is because he's Jewish. And somewhere in the history of our peoples over the last 2,000 years, Christian has become synonymous with not Jewish. And it's not even that Jesus was Jewish, which is important. It's that he still currently is Jewish as he sits at the right hand of the Father. Um, my, my dad is Jewish, and my mom is Italian. She was raised Roman Catholic. People ask me, what does Jewish food taste like? And the answer is, I have no idea. I, I grew up on pasta, like Pastor Brad said in his message a few weeks ago. Uh, as an Italian, I grew up on pasta, minus the sausage, of course, but, uh, but I grew up on pasta. And I think you can tell between Pastor Brad and I which one actually loves pasta the most. I know, it's Brad, right? That... <laughs> Speaking of Italians, my grandma, who was Roman Catholic, uh, said to me one time, very Italian lady, she said, you know who the two greatest Italians who ever lived are? I said, who, Grandma? She said, Frank Sinatra and Jesus. <laughs> I said, Grandma, Nobody's questioning Frank Sinatra. I'm with you. But, but Jesus is an Italian. He, he never went to Italy. Like, he never visited Rome when he, he, he lived on earth. Uh, and this is part of the, the struggle is when you go to the Sistine Chapel and you see the picture of the blonde-haired, blue-eyed, clean-shaven, soft white, definitely moisturizes Uh, and conditions Jesus at the last judgment, this is really far removed from Rabbi Yeshua, the son of Miriam and Yosef, from Natsara in Eretz Yisrael. Rabbi Jesus, son of Mary and Joseph, who grew up in Nazareth in the land of Israel. 
And the reason why it's important is because if you love somebody, you want to know everything about them. And what you need to know about Jesus is during his time on earth, he never spoke English. I know. This is when Preston said I was a theological genius. This is, this is all where it starts. Just follow me. <laughs> follow me. He, he never spoke English. His disciples never spoke English. He never heard the name Jesus in his lifetime. I'll give you he's probably used to it by now. That was way funnier than you laughed. The truth is, he's an observant Jew, and he kept all the, requir- the commandments required of him. He celebrated Shabbat. He attended synagogue. He prayed in the temple in Jerusalem on the feast of the Lord. He never ate unclean food. His parents were also observant Jews, brought him to Jerusalem to be circumcised on the eighth day, and they offered the prescribed sacrifice after his mother's days of purification were over, and they named him a Jewish name, Yeshua. Now, Yeshua literally means, from Hebrew to English, means salvation. Jesus is his English name, but we lose some of the power of his name if we don't understand his Hebrew name, Yeshua, which literally means salvation. You guys know the verse from Christmas time, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, the angel says to Joseph, she will give birth to a son and you will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from his sins. But if you understand that the word Jesus is Yeshua and that Yeshua means salvation, in a Messianic translation, it reads this way. She will give birth to a son and you shall call his name salvation. For he will save his people from their sins. So when the shepherds are on the hill in Bethlehem and they see the star and the angels appear and they sing, Gloria in excelsis Deo. Joseph was like, could you repeat that in Hebrew? (laughs) I even sang, guys. That was, okay. Like, it's a beautiful song. I love that song. Do you think the angels sang in Latin? No, because the shepherds were Jewish people in the land of Israel in Bethlehem, and they heard them singing in Hebrew, and they understood what they were saying. So the the bottom line of this message today is the Jewishness of Jesus and his practice of Judaism is a part of who he is. And the more we can go back to understand context of who he is, the Jewish context, the deeper your relationship with Jesus is going to go, whether you're Jewish or a Gentile. Now, I I was part of a youth group of a church when I was a kid because our synagogue didn't have a youth group, and I came back with one of the bracelets, the WWJD bracelet. And my dad's a rabbi, some of you are wearing them, and and my dad said, "Uh, what does the bracelet mean? And I said, well, we're supposed to ask ourselves, Dad, in any given situation, what would Jesus do? And my dad, being Jewish, answered a question with a question. Do you know what the real answer to that question is? And I said, what? He said, what would Jesus do? He'd go to synagogue. <laughs> See, people ask me often, especially when they find out I'm a Messianic rabbi, and it doesn't matter where they come from, but people will often look at me and say, how can you be Jewish and believe in Jesus? And it's such an odd question. 
it, it makes sense in our culture and in our context, but for the disciples, they never imagined a world where that question would even be asked. Because for them in the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, their question was the exact opposite. How can Gentiles follow Yeshua? And somehow over 2,000 years, it's flipped over on its head and it's upside down where people assume that if you believe in Jesus, you're not Jewish. When everybody who followed Jesus, including Jesus himself, are all a part of the Jewish people. I, I was 16 years old in social studies in, in high school, and, and, my, and my teacher put up a chart like this uh, on the board, and, and she put Judaism on one side and Christianity on the other, and, and she had uh, the Ten Commandments under Judaism and love your neighbor as yourself under Christianity. I raised my hand, and I said, you can't do that. And she said, why? I said, because what Christian do you know doesn't follow the Ten Commandments? And love your neighbor as yourself is from Leviticus 19, verse 18. It's in the Torah. <laughs> your, chart, your chart doesn't work. <laughs> S- similarly, my daughter, uh, my daughter, Emma, who's 15, but when she was 13, she had her bat mitzvah in our synagogue, and her friends in school were having their bar mitzvahs, and, you know, they went to each other's parties, and one of the kids uh, said to her, um, well, believing in Jesus and being Jewish is not a real thing. And my daughter at 13 years old just looked her friend right in the face and said, I mean, I'm standing right in front of you. I was in, I went to a Christian college, and when I was in college, uh, one of my uh, professors uh, bust into the room before class and said, I didn't have my son circumcised on purpose to prove he was free from the law. Now I was like 18. (laughs) You can't do that. You can't say that. And he was like, why? I said, because why would you try to prove that you were free from something you were never under? Like, circumcision is for Jewish people, and it's not a burden for us, and it's certainly not a curse. Uh, we're not trying to be free from it. it. It's what God told us to do all the way back to our father, Abraham. But Gentiles don't have, share the obligation. In fact, I wrote a paper in college, which the title I'm still proud of to this day, which uh, the title was, Should Jews Stop Circumcising Their Sons Just Because It Hurts? <laughs> and my professor said... He said to me, look, it's an A paper, but if you don't change the title, I'm going to give you a B. And I said, then I'm getting a B. (laughs) And he, in my paper, my conclusion in my paper was Jewish people, Messianic Jews, should continue to circumcise our sons on the eighth day. And Gentiles have no obligation to do circumcision. They never have. It's nowhere in the Torah. It's not there. And he was concerned for me, and he said, I'm, I'm really concerned that you're teaching the heresy of Judaizing. And so I went and I looked up Judaize in the English dictionary, and I went back to him. I said, I, I know this isn't like scholarly necessarily, but I, I looked up Judaize in the English dictionary, and the definition is to make one Jewish. How can you Judaize Jews? We're, we're already Jewish. Right? I understand that you could Judaize Gentiles, but that's not what I was saying in, the, in my paper. 
So when it comes like in our community in Seattle, we often say, look, Jews are Jews and Gentiles are Gentiles and we're all part of the same family. But there's really only two divisions that God made. He started with male and female and then he separated the Jewish people from the nations. The reason for the separation was not just because we're the chosen people. People say to me all the time, you know, man, it's, it's so cool that you're chosen, part of the chosen people. And I say, you know, it is cool, but do you know what we're chosen for? Even other Jewish people, do you know what we're chosen for? And everybody goes, no. <laughs> well, Isaiah said about 35 times in the, in the book of Isaiah that our job is to be light to the nations. That's what we're chosen for. We're supposed to tell the nations that there's no other God but the God of Israel. In fact, any Gentile here or watching online who believes in Jesus believes in Jesus because the Jewish apostles did their job. They went and told the whole world, and most of them were martyred, were killed for it. The reason why any of us believe is because uh, of, of the, who they were and the Judaism that they practiced. So the first uh, why the, the Jewishness of Jesus matters is Jesus is Jewish, not a Christian. The second is Jesus saves Jews first. Not last. It, order matters. And in Romans 1.16, this is the words of Paul. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it, is, uh, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And in the first century, this is entirely practical. If in the preaching of the gospel, a Jewish person or Jesus himself walked into a Gentile audience and said, all of the prophecies have been fulfilled and I am the Messiah you've been waiting for, the Gentiles would say, what prophecies? What's a Messiah? Like, what are we, I don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. But the reason why the gospel is to the Jewish people first is because when you walk into a Jewish room and say, all the prophecies have been fulfilled, and I'm the one you've been waiting for, some people are like, ah, we should probably kill this guy. And other guys are like, I mean, he could be. It, it, it's, it's the experience. Like, you got to get in the head of the, the, the Jewish disciples who, who walked with him for three years, who, who spent all this time with him, who... who, who uh, uh, loved him and how, and how amazing and curious and wonderful and stressful. It's my favorite thing through the Gospels is everything Jesus says. There's always a line after that says, and the disciples did not understand a word he said. <laughs> and they don't understand it until the giving of the Holy Spirit 50 days after the resurrection. And it's after the resurrection on Shavuot where, where they start to have conversations being filled with the Spirit going, oh, man, remember when he killed that fig tree? And he quoted the prophets. Just made sense to me. It's like uh, if you've ever seen uh, the the if you've ever seen the movie Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Anybody? Anybody? A few people? Okay. Uh, he he goes. She like drowns, and the kid, re, older kid, resuscitates her. And her younger brother says, "Where did you learn that?" And he says, "French class." <laughs> it's a good joke. The very end of the movie, the last scene of the movie is the kid going, French class, now I get it. <laughs> the disciples heard everything and experienced everything, but it made no sense to them until they were filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, Tim Mackey, who's the uh, theologian for the Bible Project, uh, this is what he says about the Old Testament, because again, order matters. He says, it's a prophetic interpretation of Israel's history that reveals God's purpose to rescue the whole world. And we don't call the Old Testament the Old Testament. We call it the Tanakh. And the Tanakh is T-N-K, is Torah Nevi'im Ketuvim, which is where you get the word Tanakh. Um, and it means the, the law, the prophets, and the writings. It, it's a different order than you're used to in Christian translations. There's, the Old Testament has a Jewish order. And really, the Gospels carry the Tanakh forward because they tell the story of the Jewish Messiah who comes to fulfill all of those prophecies. The book of Acts tells the story where Jesus said in Acts 1.8 to his disciples, you should go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I don't know if you realize that the book of Acts, they literally do that. The first few chapters are Jerusalem, then they're in Judea and Samaria, and then they go to the ends of the earth where Paul ends on trial in Rome, the center of the ends of the earth in the ancient world. And um, the, the truth is, Christianity and Judaism are not supposed to be different religions. They're counterparts. Judaism's for Jews. Christianity is Judaism for Gentiles. <laughs> I know some of you are like, carry the one, I'm not... Christianity is Judaism for Gentiles because Gentiles don't become Jews, but they do become followers of the Jewish Messiah who came first to save the Jewish people and then everyone else. And this is why if you look even in the order of the books, it's really fascinating that in Jewish translations, the, the Old Testament, the Tanakh, ends with Second Chronicles. It doesn't end with the Italian prophet Malachi. Just kidding, Malachi. He's not Italian either, Grandma, I promise. So it ends with Malachi. And if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open to the end of Malachi. Um, in, the, in the new NLT, that's uh, page 574. <laughs> the end of Malachi. And what I want to show you at the end of Malachi is there's a page in your Bible that doesn't belong there. I know, it sounds scary. I get it. But this page is not inspired by the Holy Spirit. It, it's, a, it's a literal middle wall of partition. It's a, it's a literal page of separation. At the end of Malachi, Malachi ends, and, and there's a page that says New Testament on it. The back of that page is blank, and then it goes to Matthew. The problem is, and... This is what you should do with that page. If you take this page out, not inspired by the Holy Spirit. Well, when you take it out, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't inspired by the Holy Spirit to put it in. <laughs> when you take it out, look what happens. The story continues. There's no separation. I heard that, Tara. Yes. Get it. Get it, bro. because the story continues. There's no start over, there's no birth of something new, there's not the start of a new people, it's a continuation of the story. And actually, in the Jewish order, if you look at the end, check out, this is the beauty of continuing the story. Second Chronicles 36, 
This is the end of the Hebrew scriptures in the Jewish order. This is what Cyrus, the king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judea, in Judah, and any of his people among you may go up, and may the Lord their God be with them. Guess who goes to this temple? Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. In a Messianic translation in the Hebrew, it says, this is the book of the genealogy of Yeshua HaMashiach ben David ben Avraham. Or in the NIV, it says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That sounds pretty Jewish. Because the story continues, and really, this is our dilemma, friends. It's Jewish people. The majority of Jewish people don't read the New Testament because they've been told and have understood that it's an anti-Semitic book that is against Jewish people. In part because the New Testament has been used to kill us or kick us out of countries over the last 2,000 years in the name of Christ. And the flip side is Christians generally don't read the Hebrew Scriptures. They read the New Testament. So we have Jewish people who are not reading the end, and we have Christians who are not reading the beginning. I mean, I know you read Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and then you skip to Isaiah 53, but you don't read <laughs> the whole. Nobody's reading the whole thing. People, uh, people say to me, uh, you, you know, um, uh, people, people will say uh, that this... Is it, I don't know, it just, if the New Testament is about killing Jewish people, well, it makes sense that it wouldn't be for us. But what if it's the one we've been waiting for? My dad said, I, I used to, I worked in Manhattan um, when, uh, after, after seminary, and I was the, words, the world's worst real estate agent, because we'd walk into apartments, and I'd be like, there's no closets, you guys don't want to live here, let's go. <laughs> go somewhere else. And they'd say, you know, is it, is it cheaper to leave in Brook, in, live in Brooklyn and Queens? And I'd say, oh gosh, it's so much cheaper. Don't rent in Manhattan. You should go to Brooklyn and Queens. You get an MTA card. It'll like so much cheaper. Do you have anything in Brooklyn and Queens? No, I only do Manhattan. <laughs> I was terrible. But I would go home on Friday nights and I would leave early to get home for Shabbat. And it was like me and every Orthodox Jew in Brooklyn and Queens uh, on, the, on the train. And I would take out my complete Jewish Bible, like out of my bag, it says, complete Jewish Bible. And I would wait for somebody to talk to me. And I was talking to my dad about it, and I said, you know, I'd take out my Bible and waiting for conversation. And my dad said, son, what are you so afraid of? I said, I'm not afraid of anything. And he said, no, for real, what are you afraid of? I said, honestly... They're going to tell me that I don't speak Hebrew and I can't read Hebrew fluently, so what kind of rabbi am, am I? And my dad said, son, just ask them if they've heard about JFK getting shot. What? <laughs> ask them if, they've, if they heard about Martin Luther King assassination. I, what, where are we going, dad? They'll hear of those things and then say, how could you miss the Messiah 2,000 years ago? Like, yeah, I don't speak Hebrew. And yeah, you might think I'm less of a rabbi because I don't speak Hebrew. 
but I mean, missing the Messiah is a big deal. So it's like, what are we so afraid of? Rabbi Troy did a, did a great sermon in this series of Jesus cover to cover, and, and his appearances all through the scripture you got to understand, for the disciples, they like ate with him, just like Abraham. They spoke face to face with him, just like Moses. They worshipped him, just like our patriarchs. They laughed and cried with him, just as the prophets did before. The difference was they didn't see him in snippets and scenes. They spent three years with him every day. They spent all this time with him, and they didn't understand anything. It was a message. The gospel is a message for Jewish people, by Jewish people, through Jewish people. Like, it's a message for us. Jesus came to save his own people first so that we could do what we are called to do as a people and tell the nations that there's no other God but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the person of Yeshua, our Messiah. That's the story. That's where you clap because that's a big deal. The Jewishness of Jesus and his practice of Judaism is a part of who he is. And the more you can go back to understand Jewish context, the deeper your relationship, whether you're Jewish or Gentile, the deeper your relationship with Jesus will go. So Jesus is Jewish. He's not a Christian. Jesus saves Jews first, not last. And the third is Jesus is a restorer, not an innovator. And this is really the idea of my book, Jesus Never Said Anything New, which when I say the title, I know some of you are like, no, he definitely said the word new. I remember he said new. He said new a few times. And you're right, he did. You'll have to read my book to find out why he never said anything new. The struggle is, in our culture, people desperately need Jesus to do something new because they don't understand Jewish context. If you understand the full story and you understand that nothing that he said was new, in fact, everything he taught was taught by the rabbis of the first century because they were all using the same text. They were all preaching from the Hebrew scriptures. They, they, they taught all the same things. The difference between Jesus and, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scripture tells us, is the authority with which he spoke. I'm from New York, so it's authority Translation for tongues is authority. That's my wife tells me I have to say that. Uh, It's his authority. It's not the content of what he's saying. It's the way he's saying it. In in Judaism, we are super comfortable with disagreement. It's a big difference between Judaism and Christianity. In in Christianity, you have a systematic theology, right? This plus this equals this. And if you don't believe this, then then you don't believe in Orthodox Christianity. In Judaism, we have rabbis... And one rabbi reads the text and says one thing. You remember it fiddled on the roof. On the one hand and on the other. And another rabbi says the complete opposite. And then everybody goes, yeah, they're probably both right. <laughs> and the difference for Jesus is he steps in to the first century. And there's all this opinion. And all the opinions are good. In fact, the Pharisees are not Jesus' enemies. They're his brother's. He didn't come to beat them up and tell them they're legalistic and like tell them that they've done everything wrong. He called them back of all the good things you know and all the things you do to lead our people, which I gave you the authority to lead our people. Jesus steps in and says, can I just tell you guys what I meant when I wrote it and I gave it to Moses? 
I mean, think, think about their reaction. But, but look at the reaction of people, right? Matthew chapter 7 and verse 28 says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Or Mark chapter 1, verse 21, they went to Capernaum and it was the Sabbath and Jesus went into the synagogue and uh, began to teach. And the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. So Jesus steps in and says, I'll just tell you guys what I meant when I wrote it. And their response is, well, who do you think you are? I remember one time a guy, I was sitting on the first front row for the start of our service. The music had just started playing. And, uh, um, you know, a guy comes in and he's tall. And everybody's tall next to me, but he was tall and he was wearing white Jordans and white pants and a white button down shirt. And he had a white blanket tied around his neck like a cape that went all the way down to his ankles. And he sat next to me and he leans over and says, can I speak to you after the service? I said, sure. Let me preach first. (laughs) So I come down and he says, can we spend a few minutes privately together? And I said, I'm sorry, I don't meet with people privately on Shabbat. And he said, I said, but I'm willing to buy you coffee on Monday and we can talk. And he said, I'm sorry, I I have to kick the dust off my feet and leave. And I thought, that's a weird thing to say. Then I realized I got an email from this guy earlier in the week and it was, you know, I'm going to be at the service and I'd like to speak to you afterwards. So I emailed this guy back and said, are you the gentleman who was at the service? I'd love to buy you coffee on Monday. And he replied, I am he, period and you rejected me, and so I have to kick the dust off of my feet and move to the next town. And I thought, he thinks he's God. And sometimes in the humanity of it, we miss, like, the Pharisees should have seen it. Yeah, but if somebody's standing in front of you telling you they're God, your first response is, I don't think so. (laughs) That can't be right. And their frustration, John 5, verse 18, it says of the Pharisees, the people were impressed with his authority, but the rabbis tried to kill him, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, which is not true. That's another sermon that Pastor Preston will have to bring me back for. But he was even calling God his own father and making himself equal with God. Now, what you, don't, what you, what you may not understand is in the Torah, In Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy 18, it says very clearly that if someone comes preaching and does miracles and they tell you to worship another God, then you should kill them. So we look at this and think, wow, how evil. But they were actually doing what they were supposed to be doing. I mean, he had to die. There's all kinds of nonsense about the Jews killing Christ and and how much. In fact, I think my next book is going to be called The Jews Did Not Kill Christ Subtitle, and other frustrations of a Messianic rabbi. Um, (laughs) Because the Pharisees are not Jesus' enemies, they're his brothers. And and this is the way A.W. Tozer said it. Jesus never spoke an opinion. Oh, man, I love that. Everybody has opinions, right? We have theological opinions. We have arguments over theology, and we say, well, maybe you're right, maybe I'm right. And Jesus just comes and says, well, I'll tell you guys what I meant when I wrote it and gave it to Moses when I spoke to him face to face or when I wrestled Jacob or when I showed up at the top of Jacob's ladder or when I, like, it was all me. 
you know, it's, it's, it's startling because Yeshua is not just one of us. He's not just one of the Jewish people. He is the one that we were waiting for. And there's tension that's created that's natural and practical to work that we were supposed to do as a people to make sure, double check, triple check, that he actually is the one that was sent. Well-meaning Christians ask me often, how could Jewish people not see Jesus in the fulfillment of prophecy? And this is the hard part. And I mean this from a place of compassion. The greatest single cause of Jewish rejection of Jesus is Christians who turn Jesus into another God of another people and a creator of another religion. He's not those things. He is still the God of Israel. He is still what they put in mockery above his cross, the king of the Jewish people. And he is ours first because of the order of how God set up the separation of the Jewish people so he could speak to us and through us. And then we could tell the whole world that there's no one else. There's no other God but the God of Israel. If Jesus starts a new religion, if Jesus starts a new people, if Jesus divorces the Jewish people and remarries another woman called the church, if Jesus makes a new covenant with someone else other than the Jewish people, if he presents new content and doesn't follow the Hebrew traditions of revelation, then he's not what the writer of Hebrews calls the same yesterday, today, and forever. The difference for Jesus was his authority, not the content which he taught. The authority as the one that we had been waiting for. And it's so amazing to be a part, be connected to a church like this and Pastor Preston and, and your staff and, and people that are, we're, we're living in a time that was the dream of my parents and my grandparents before. That, that the whole world, both Jews and Gentiles, would come to understand the Jewish context of Jesus, not just for the salvation of the Jewish people, which is important to me, but also for every Gentile who follows Jesus to grow deeper in their relationship with Jesus when they understand his Jewish context and his practice of Judaism. So Jesus is Jewish. He's not a Christian. Jesus saves Jews first, not last. Jesus is a restorer, not an innovator. He is the king of the Jewish people. And he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords of anyone who calls on his name from any nation. The doors were flung wide open when he rose from the dead and he sent his disciples out to reach the ends of the earth. And here we are, pretty far away from Jerusalem, sitting in a church in Arizona, talking about the Jewishness of Jesus 2,000 years later. And if you haven't ever called on the name of Jesus, I just encourage you to say yes. It's so much more wonderful and so much more amazing than you could ever imagine. And there's so much deeper that all of us can go if we dig into the context of the whole scriptures. Let me pray for you. Lord God, we thank you for who you are and who you've called us to be as your people. And we pray that you would continue to meet us where we're at and speak to us through your Holy Spirit, on these things. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand?
We're going to do something really cool to end the service in just a minute. There's so many things about that message that I love. One of my favorites was him addressing the question, how, how is it even possible that the Jewish people have missed that Jesus is their Messiah? And that picture of the guy in all white, because all of us would be like, that is not Jesus. That is not God, right? But we, we just don't fully understand. And the way I've described it is God chose Abraham and his family as a people to be prepared for the coming Messiah. When we hear first, when we hear chosen, if there's any bit of orphan in us, it's like, wait a minute, I am too. Yeah, that's not what this is about. This is about him. When we read scripture in the Western American context of us right now, we think the Bible is about us. That's a book about me. Okay, I have to remind myself daily, my name is not in that book. My name is in his book thank the Lord. But it's not in that book. So we have to remove ourselves as we study the one we love. And we give our lives to being more like him. Matt's going to close with the benediction. And if, if you know what that is, you've probably heard the benediction in English. But we're actually going to end this service a little bit differently, and he's going to give beautiful context to why. But I want to invite the altar ministry team to come forward. And after we dismiss, Matt's going to dismiss us. Uh, if you need prayer for anything at all, just come and pray with somebody. If we haven't met you, we'd love to meet you out in the lobby. But let's together celebrate what we've just heard by ending our service together with a beautiful benediction. So you guys know Numbers 6, verse 24 to 26. As the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Verse 27 is a command for the high priest Aaron when he says this blessing over the people to lift his hands. And when he lifts his hands, it says verse 27, so they will put my name on the people and I will bless them. <laughs> oh, man. This is so cool. Luke chapter 24, Yeshua is about to ascend into heaven 40 days after his resurrection. He's taken off into the sky. And it says, Luke 24 and verse 50, when he had led them out to Bethany, he lifted his hands and he blessed them. The benediction is the end of every Jewish service. And what we do in the benediction, in fact, you may have seen this symbol from Star Trek. Leonard Nimoy was Jewish. And he got this from the rabbis in synagogue when they say the benediction at the end of the service. So live long and prosper is actually part of Jesus' blessing over us. But <laughs> through another Jewish guy. But when the scripture says he lifted his hands and blessed them, to every Jewish person, that means he said the benediction, and the benediction's at the end, and after he finished the benediction, he took off into the sky. And he blessed his disciples by putting his name, the name of the Lord, on them, and I'd like to bless you the same way. 
If you want to lift your hands, you can. If you want to hold your palms up forward to receive the blessing, whatever is comfortable for you, be blessed by the Lord as I say these words. You say, I don't know, Panavelejo, Viasemleja, Shalom. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in the name of Jesus, our Messiah. We pray, and everyone said, amen. amen. Have a great Sunday. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.